Cyber 24 is presented by our friends at Valcom. Valcom is a Utah-based IT solutions and services provider with a drive for getting IT right. From ironclad security to computing and beyond, Valcom's 35-plus years means they have the experience and the expertise to help your business from desktop to the data center. Check them out at vlcm.com. All right, welcome into the Cyber 24 podcast, the weekly pod dedicated to helping business and governmental leaders like yourselves better understand the often intimidating topic of cybersecurity so you can make better decisions to keep your organization safe. My name is Marty Carpenter of 24-9. I work in strategic communication, public affairs, and government relations. In this episode, we sit down with Stefan Semmelroth, the VP of Cyber at Avant Communications. Now, Stefan was in the Army for six-plus years. He served in Afghanistan. He was in the Army's original Cyber Corps, uh, where he led a red team and the threat intelligence team defending U.S. assets across an entire continent. He also co-wrote the training doctrine that defines how cyber units defend the United States and our interests. Uh, Stefan broke his back while he was on a mission in Afghanistan. He's going to talk a little bit about that. That left him paralyzed for a short time. Then he relearned how to walk, and after retiring from the Army... He founded uh, a company, a cybersecurity recruiter that matched cyber vets with tech jobs across the country. Uh, that company was acquired by another company, Stratacore, in 2020. Really fascinating conversation. Hope you enjoy it. Uh, Stefan, thanks so much for taking some time to be with us today. Oh, I'm very excited to be here. So I've, I've been able to listen to you know quite a lot of your content. I like the content. And you know I'd say a longtime listener, first-time caller. <laughs> excited to be here. And I, and, and I hope that uh, at the end of this call, any of the listeners you know, have a clear way to move ahead in cybersecurity, whether they're experts and they're ready to go and we change a little perspective, or there's somebody that want to get into the industry. So we'll try to cover all your bases and make sure that everybody walks away with a something that they can use on a day-to-day basis. That sounds like a great game plan for me. Let's start this way, as we do with most of our guests. Tell us about yourself and about uh, the company you're with. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I... I grew up in kind of a rural area and was lucky enough to have uh, to be exposed to computers as a kid. And I like when I say kid, I was literally out behind the stores, dumpster diving for computers and trying to get things to to work together. And I got my first job in IT shortly after Y2K, uh, you know, doing ad moves, changes, you know, your basic technician many, many, many moons ago. And then um, that was when I experienced my first cyber incident. And, uh, you know, everybody talks about cyber moving so, so quickly. And while it does and the players change and all the M&A activity, I can tell you that when I do respond to a breach today, I ask, I ask a lot of those same questions that I asked on that first breach, you know, 21 years ago, because the philosophy doesn't really change too much. But uh, that's how I got into IT, went into sales engineering for a couple of years after that. Um, Went into West Point, studied electrical engineering, graduated. There's a military requirement afterwards, and I like tough problems, so I picked the infantry, uh, jumped out of planes, jumped out of helicopters, went to ranger school, and graduated just in time to make the last flight to Afghanistan. Got to meet my unit in-country, went on about 100 missions with them, came back, went to another unit, uh, found out I had actually broken my back, uh, went into reconstructive back surgery, woke up from a surgery unexpectedly paralyzed, got feeling back a couple of days later, learned to walk again. And actually, uh, two weekends ago, 
I was able to do the Chicago triathlon. So uh, for anybody listening, like that may be going through a struggle, keep going. I can't tell you how long it's going to take. Took me about seven years and I'm still learning about my body and and how to, you know, walk and be functional again. Um, But then with, through that experience, I thought maybe I shouldn't be in the infantry anymore. And the army was standing up this new cyber unit at the time, cyber branch. And I said, Hey, uh, put me in the game. And they actually picked me up. It was a, a low pickup rate. Went to the uh, to the new cyber unit, the new cyber branch, and uh, got to do incident response on a couple different continents and got to write a lot of the doctrine that defines how uh, men and women go defend U.S. strategic assets all over the world and, and how they accomplish those missions. So a uh, lot of opportunity, a lot of fun through that process, a lot of big, big challenges. And then ended up getting medically retired out of the military, started a veteran-focused cyber recruiting company, went through the valley of death on that. He was the founder, um, got cash flow because uh, you you bank you a placement. You might not get paid for a little while. It was, it was tough. Came out on the other side, You know, threaded the needle, cash flow positives, doing well, sold that company to an uh, IT and security channel partner, a broker, a uh, trusted advisor. And that's where I learned about kind of this new channel where I'm at right now and how it can really enable companies to, to secure themselves in a good way to do it quickly and how to identify which vendors are out there. So I, I like this industry specifically where I'm at right now with Avant Communications because it's an opportunity to lead the industry, but to do so in a way that it allows companies to go to agnostic consultants and figure out what is the right solution for them to meet their business objectives inside of the security context. So I get to see tons and tons and tons of different clients out in the world. I get to see a bunch of vendors that are out in the world. I mean, you you see me at, you know, Black Hat or DEF CON or RSA, I usually look bleary eyed because I've got a clipboard. I'm walking around to every vendor that's there to learn what they do, how they do it, do they do it well, where I think they're good, and if I need to bring them in the portfolio or not. So I'm in this really cool position where I just get to see the entire industry. I get to see every vertical you could imagine and solve really tough, challenging problems on, on an everyday basis. Sounds like a lot of uh, interesting experience. And uh, it doesn't sound like you take the easy way out on pretty much anything you do. Do you do anything the easy way? Do you you know mow the lawn in the least intricate pattern just so you don't do everything the most difficult way possible? Uh, anything that's easy, I outsource. <laughs> That's not a bad approach. That is not a bad approach at all. I'm I'm really interested in your time uh, as part of the Army's Cyber Corps, um, particularly now as the world kind of watches uh, the Russia Ukraine war. And I'm wonder if you could give us some perspective from your time in the Army's Cyber Corps, or from your experience after that, uh, as to what we should uh, pay attention to or why. A conflict between Russia and Ukraine necessitates a review of cybersecurity best practices. Absolutely, and uh, you know I'll have the I'll have the caveat here of anything that I say is my own personal opinion, and nothing will relate to any security clearances I may have or may have previously had. That being said, um, the the story that I normally go to I think is encapsulated incredibly well in the book Sandworm by Andy Greenberg. Mm-hmm. And if if you look at that, um, Andy went to Ukraine a couple times and met with almost everybody that is in his book. And it's nonfiction, right? It's this, the story of how Ukraine, 365 days apart, shut down 
uh, sorry, how Russia, 365 days apart, shut down Ukraine's power grid. And um, the first time it was the, the tactics that Russia used uh, were allegedly by, you know, as Andy says in the book, um, were fairly, I'd say immature. They were the kind of tactics that really a couple people could use with computers and they weren't really sophisticated at all, but they worked super well. And then 365 days later, they hit Ukraine a second time. And that's that's a pretty strong statement, right? We're going to hold your entire electrical grid at risk and turn it off exactly when we want to. And we didn't know it at the time. We thought it was, you know, a precursor to something to come. We didn't know that it was going to be a precursor to an open land war. You know, certainly that was something that we'd thought about that was on the table. Um, but it was kind of, it almost seemed far-fetched, you know, if we go back and if we we put ourselves where we were before, because, yeah, it, it had happened, but nothing like the scale that we expected, right? Um, so... So clearly we know that Russia has these capabilities that they can hold critical infrastructure at risk. And we know that to achieve their goals, they want to use soft power as much as possible. They want to, uh, to escalate and cause pain in a way that doesn't actually meet the threshold of all out war. And so often you see holding critical infrastructure at risk as a way of saber rattling that says, okay, if you hit us, well, we can very quickly retaliate and kind of a form of, of proliferation outside. So another form of soft power. And we know that Russia is not the only state that has that capability. If we just look at um, all of the different ways that you can hold utilities at risk. So let's take a look at Colonial Pipeline. When Colonial Pipeline got hit, um, their hydrocarbon delivery system, their oil and gas delivery system didn't get hit at all. It was their financial arm that got hit. So not their operational arm, though specifically a financial portion of their corporate system. And that was locked. And so Colonial couldn't turn back on because they couldn't take new orders. So you can hold infrastructure at risk in a many different creative ways that can cause a lot of friction. And our adversaries all across the world aim to do that. And we're seeing that play out in Ukraine. And I can tell you that I got to sit down um, with Ukraine's Minister of Cyber Defense at Black Hat a few weeks ago. And uh, his name's Victor. Um, really fun, interesting people to sit down with in spite of the fact that they are at war right now. So one of the things I can say is, you know, having been to war myself, having seen other people, um, people are resilient, even though our systems are not. And so what I would like to see generally is that our system become something close to as resilient as people. And in order that we can, you know, continue at least life as we generally know it without having those interruptions of you know loss of power loss of of uh gas and having those impacts on us on the 16 critical infrastructures listen CISOs, we know how hard it is to manage your security posture 
With often dozens of different security technologies that vary in process and application, wouldn't it be nice if you had security baked into your actual server hardware? HPE's Gen 10 servers offer exactly that. As Utah's biggest HPE Platinum partner, Valcom believes that your server infrastructure should be your strongest defense. Protect your enterprise with innovations in firmware protection, malware detection, and firmware recovery right down to the silicone. Learn more about the servers that transform your business at vlcm.com slash gen10. That's vlcm.com slash gen10. Over $12 billion have been lost to spear phishing and account takeover. Target attacks carry no malicious payload and are able to bypass email gateways. Barracuda Sentinel uses AI to outsmart the attackers and protect your business and data. With Barracuda Sentinel, you can block threats that are already in your inbox, not just the incoming ones. You can stay a step ahead of attackers with AI-based threat detection, and you can stop wasting time managing static security rules with this silent zero-administration tool. Check out vlcmtech.com slash barracuda-sentinel to find out how you can save your company from a hacker's $12 billion business. That's vlcmtech.com slash B-A-R-R-A-C-U-D-A dash S-E-N-T-I-N-E-L. So as we watch things unfold in Ukraine, and right now Russia seems to militarily have its hands full, that doesn't necessarily give us much of an indication of what's going on on the cyber side. It's a little harder to watch from the cheap seats. Um, But seeing that sort of in action and knowing that Russia has taken actions like this against Ukraine in the past, and then knowing that the, you know, the FBI has warned that there's evolving intelligence that Russia's exploring options for potential cyber attacks against mm-hmm. the U S these are sort of in some ways, borderless uh, wars. You don't have to physically get here to cause problems. What is it that businesses and consumers can do to better protect themselves from whether it's a Russian cyber attack or really any other nation state that might be looking to uh, disrupt the United States by essentially targeting a, their, a specific business or an industry. Yeah, so I'll, I'll start with some of the critical infrastructure first, like water delivery systems, gas systems, power, electric, the grid, um, that sort of thing. Um, it honestly goes back to, to basically civilian action and writing local uh, local politicians and saying, Hey, I understand that, you know, the rate for water delivery may go up, but if we don't actually invest in protecting our water delivery, that's really low on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So sure. If it goes up a penny and I forget exactly how, uh, uh, like giant metric uh, meters cubed to delivery systems for water, Mm -hmm. um, it goes back to being able to protect the delivery of that water and then being able to live off of that. It's by itself. Right. So um, we need more investment into that infrastructure and prices will probably have to go up for the, those, some of those systems. It's, it's, it's usually not by much, but they were the vast majority of these systems, what are uh, water, uh, the grid itself, um, uh, power delivery systems, et cetera. They were designed prior to a good amount of proliferation of understanding of how the cyber attacks can actually hit. Hmm. And they were designed for delivery 
and physical attacks. So that's why there's fences. But then eventually they grew and there's, you know, a web front end on a water delivery system now that anybody in the world can access. And so if we don't restrict that access and get it to just the right people that need it, the engineers, and then validate their identity, et cetera, like basic cyber fundamentals, then our grids and water and other critical infrastructure will remain at risk. And so doing the advocacy at the local levels to advocate for some of that investment is absolutely huge. Now, when we look at companies, commercial companies, there's the second part of your question. Um, we're seeing shifts. And I think there's really um, kind of five different things that are driving that. And obviously, the first one is a breach. Because it's it's really traumatic. And companies during a breach are going to try to keep, you know, they, they want to keep going to business. They want to go be the best in the world. They want to go keep capturing revenue. So that is an opportunity to then, um, and I, unfortunately, you know, you never let a, a crisis go to waste, right? <laughs> um, that's one big indicator. And then another one along those lines are when board members move and they, they experienced a breach at a previous company and they moved to a new company, we're seeing that people aspect ask a lot of questions and suddenly maybe a director of security that had never briefed the board is suddenly briefing the board. And that's a, a massive piece. That's a second piece. Third one right now, insurance. Um, insurance for cyber insurance specifically in the underwriters, we're seeing premiums go up by about 400% on average. And insurance companies are going and saying, hey, do you have these things? Oh, you don't? We just we're not going to insure you. And there's some big like public story lawsuits that have come out lately saying um, uh, between companies and the underwriters that have said, hey, you're only paying at this rate. How come you're not paying us the full amount? Well, because that's a human compromise. That's not actually a cyber compromise. And that can be a tough answer of why you didn't get what you thought you were going to get for coverage. So insurance is driving that as well. And then you also have um, investments. So venture capital, private equity, and uh, the mergers and acquisition landscape are really driving a lot of these changes as well. Because if you're going to go make a billion or $10 billion investment, you kind of want it to you know, produce. <laughs> um, and there's just, there's just so many different reasons that uh, the media has been telling us forever, hey, Cyber incident, cyber incident, cyber incident, that's fallen on deaf ears. But now that the finance and the insurance company and executives are moving around, uh, we're seeing a much more top-down drive for security. So anybody listening to this, um, I'd say go out, you know, find some consultants, uh, find some trusted advisors that you can talk to with that, you know, especially at the board level, if, if your board is asking questions or they're not really driving deep into the cyber cyber landscape. Hey, here's your top three questions for board members. Are we spending the right amount of money? Are we spending money the right way? And then number three, are we confident in our program? And if you ask just those, like if you have a slide with just those three things, you'll start to see good change happening from the top down, not from the bottom up. Mm -hmm. As much as we talk about uh, you know, cyber attacks or cyber warfare being without borders, it still does have a manpower problem. And companies face this. Uh, really, anyone in the United States that's trying to tackle cybersecurity will tell you pretty quickly, but it's just, it's really hard to find good 
talent in this area and and finding people who've sort of made this their specialty. So with cybercrime on the rise and without enough people fighting against it, what can companies do other than just pay higher prices, I guess? But even at some point, there's only so much of a supply. Um, you know, how can they get these um how can they get the cybersecurity talent problem under control? That's a that's a phenomenal question. And I I truly believe that that is the question of the decade on the industry itself. And um uh, uh, a good friend of mine, Tia Hopkins, she's the field CTO over at eCentire. Shout out, Tia. Mm-hmm. Um, she's actually doing her doctorate dissertation on exactly this. Th- this is the focus of her study. And um, a few other friends have, have focused on this as well. But you know, as, as I go through and I speak with executive leadership for cyber delivery companies, we'll say cyber vendors, the way that they're solving the people problem is the way that we've always solved the people problem in engineering. And that is we go to the universities and we work with them to make sure that people in universities, whether it's a trade school or an associate program or a bachelor's or master's or doctorate, are learning the things that we need so that way we can hire them when they're ready. If you think back to like, Old old movies from the '60s where um, you see that you know the brand new uh, college student with their brand new briefcase sitting in a room with a bunch of other people that just graduated with their briefcases about to go in an interview for batch interviews for the next cohort. Same thing, and it needs to be the same thing. But the real big problem is that's what cyber vendors are doing because they're incentivized. They have a really strong incentive to go out and to do that really big term. Um, talent development pool and companies that consume cybersecurity where it's not their main mission, as we flip the script a little bit, they aren't incentivized. Uh, I was trying to solve it, and I think I did in many ways solve this problem as a as cyber recruiter when I owned that company. But working with the HR teams at companies that consume cyber services, they have an uphill problem. They're fighting an uphill battle because those HR partners, for every hundred people that they need to go hire, finance, operations, delivery, engineering, IT, they only have to hire one cyber person for their billets. So they're not incentivized to go learn the difference between our industry's ridiculous plethora, cornucopia of certifications. They're not incentivized to to understand the difference between a sysadmin and a cyber engineer or or a CISO or how a senior director of security for a product is very different than a senior director of cybersecurity on a sales side or a sales engineer versus a sales ar- a solutions architect. All of those different roles inside cyber, and there's way too many of them, and it makes it really challenging for those companies. So what I often tell those companies is if you want talent, and you don't have the option to go talk to those, uh, uh, say, the, the fountains of talent, whether it's a boot camp or the universities or trade schools, then what you need to do is go get a specialist recruiter, a boutique recruiter. And I don't care if it's me. I, want, I just want you to win, right? So understanding, if you don't know what it is, find somebody else that can help you understand what the mission of that job role is, what success looks like 
and then can go supply you the people in order for you to succeed. Yeah. All right. I'll get you out of here on this one. Um, you're a veteran and you've worked with veterans and helped veterans get into this type of work. Um, tell me how, from your perspective and your experience, how vets can start successful businesses and any tips you may have uh, that they can use to um, go take on entrepreneurship challenges and either start their own business or, or sort of make their way in the cybersecurity field. Absolutely. So as, as I coach veteran founders specifically, I tell them a couple things. The first thing I tell them is you have all of the qualities that you need to succeed. You're gritty. You can do the analysis. You can communicate. You know how to move the needle and you know how to define a mission and then go accomplish the mission. Where you will probably fail, like I almost did, was going into a, an industry that you don't know without a mentor. So go out and find, do it before, before you launch, go out on a dedicated mission of discovery to go find a mentor that has already walked that path that can guide you down that path. And 10 years ago, it was much more difficult to do that. But now with LinkedIn, you can actually search and other social media platforms, you can search for people and tag veteran or you know, worked for US Army or Navy, and you can find people. And this veteran community is amazing. Um, I, I attribute to the vast majority of my success to the veteran community because that's what allows me to stand on shoulders of giants. So what I challenge founders to do is go find a giant or two upon whose shoulders that you can stand and then understand marketing principles, generic marketing principles, educate, inspire, and entertain. And if you can do those three, you can get your clear messaging across so people understand what you do, why you do it, and why they should pick you to accomplish something that they don't want to do themselves. So it's a little bit of basic sales, a little bit of basic marketing, but go find the people that are going to help you succeed. Yeah. Having a mentor is such an important element, no matter what you're doing, having someone who can sort of take you under their wing and show you, help you avoid the mistakes they made to get where they got is such an advantage and, and good advice all around. Uh, I, I did find those mentors, by the way. I found them. I just should have done it you know, six months earlier. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It's like planting a tree. The best time to have done it is five years ago, right? <laughs> the earlier, the better. Uh, as as we wrap up, tell the folks uh, where they can find more information about you and Avant Communications. Absolutely. So um, Avant Communications, we're goavant.net. And uh, you can find me on LinkedIn and Twitter and YouTube. I try to do live streams. I'm doing many more now, but I try to do live streams um, about once a week or so. And, um, you know, the, the industry that I'm in right now, not just the, the security industry, but the one that we have with Avant Communications is um, for anybody that does want to launch, say, their own fractional CISO practice or their security consulting practice. Um, I've done that and it's, it can be a whole lot of fun. But then the question always is, and I kept running into this problem with clients, you go through, you build out a glide path and you say, hey, you need a product or you need a service. What next? Well, where we work now with Avant Communications, we answer that is what's next because you can still be agnostic with us and go out and bring in vendors and get compensated and get a referral fee for that. So you can take cradle to grave, 
ideation, set the vision, set the roadmap, and then answer that question of what's next for your clients in a way that's actually going to help you continue to succeed and grow your business. Awesome. Uh, Stefan Semmelroth, thanks so much for your time. We appreciate it. And best of luck to you going forward. We'd love to have you back sometime. I'd love to come back, Marty. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much. That'll do it for this episode. I want to thank our sponsors at Valcom. At Valcom, you get much more than a dedicated IT retailer. They become an extension of your IT team. Whether you're a startup or an enterprise, Valcom has the technical sales and engineering expertise to make your business more effective and more productive. Check them out at vlcm.com. That's vlcm.com. Special thanks as well to our supporting partners, the Utah Division of Technology Services, the Kem C. Gardner Policy Institute, the Utah Attorney General's Office, the Utah Department of Public Safety, and our friends at Secuvant. A reminder, you can follow us on Twitter at Cyber24 underscore, or you can hit us up on Facebook as well. We want to hear from you in either place to let us know what you think, or if you have a topic you'd like to hear us discuss on a future episode. You can also rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. We love those five-star ratings. Thanks, everyone. Have a great week and stay safe online.